You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Landsman. So, like we said, beginning uh, at the beginning of the service, we are beginning of the year in uh, in the lectionary, uh, beginning with Advents. Um, Advent kind of has been sidelined, I think, in, in I think largely in culture. I, I, there's lots of churches that, that celebrate it, but I think largely it's kind of gone under the radar. It's kind of been co-opted by Christmas. And so we see like Christmas stuff already going up in November, right? Like right after Thanksgiving. And so we see shows and movies and, and children's entertainment and all that stuff start to reflect the holiday, the holiday season. A few days ago, I was watching a kid's TV show with, uh, with my wife, Shantae, and, and with our son, Isaac. And he doesn't understand because he's a baby. But we were watching a kid's show. It was animated. And in, in this show, the main character was trying to unite people of different holiday traditions in a parade. And, of course, it all goes wrong, and she has to fix it. And so she fixes it by going caroling. But when she, when she goes caroling, she actually doesn't sing a, 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 a Christmas song. She sings over and over and again a song about how we all have different holiday traditions and what doesn't matter is how we celebrate the holidays, but who we spend it with and, and, and who we love. I thought to myself, this is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen <laughs> and I've heard. And you might say, well, why? It sounds okay. I mean, and there's a degree of truth to it. But for one, holidays are holy days. Holy days. Holy days mean that the church has marked out special time of worship around something significant. Holy days. We don't have a concept of holy days anymore in our culture. We have the concept of, for us in our culture nowadays, holiness has given way to materialism, consumerism. I remember one time, this wasn't on a Black Friday, but I did go to a Black Friday sale once a couple years ago at uh, waited outside in line at Target. But I remember back when one of the iPhones first came out. And uh, I was like, yes, the, the latest iPhone is coming out. It didn't matter that I already had one, and it actually still did the job pretty good. And I didn't need the latest one. But... I was like, eh, I want it. So a friend of mine, early in the morning, right, we got there to the mall. I'm not lying. Maybe at like 3 in the morning to, like, to get there so we could get in line. And they were actually turning people away from the parking lot. So we had to leave and then come back before they let us line up. By the time we came back, there was a massive crowd outside the doors, right, where the Apple store was. And so, so we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they opened the doors. And when the doors opened, the people... Like you would have thought there was a fire outside and you had to get inside to escape the fire. I saw somebody trip and fall, but fortunately nobody got trampled. They were picked up. My friend and I, we decided not to run because we're gentlemen. And we just walked casually to the store and then we had to wait in another line. (laughs) I thought to myself later on, that was really crazy. I got up super early in the morning to go stand in the line to go get a product I wasn't even able to get that day. I had to wait a couple of extra days because they, they ran out of stock. But people nowadays will spend time in lines for the newest Star Wars movie. And face it, that's, that's worth it. But the latest Star Wars movie, right? 
or the latest uh, comic book movie or, or what have you. People are willing to wait in line for that or for good restaurants. But we've forgotten how to mark up holy days because the church, by and large, is ignored. And so we mark out time for worship around something significant. And the other problem with this show is that they were calling for love and unity. But what they didn't do was tell everyone why they should love one another. They didn't say why the December holidays call for love. What's the point of everyone saying we love each other on December, in December 25th or what have you, or during the, the, the time of Hanukkah or whatever Christmas holidays or, or December holidays are celebrated? There is no explanation as to why this day is more important than any other day. And it's not by virtue because it's colder or it snows. Well, not if you live in certain parts of the, the country. There was, no, there was no explanation as to why the day was a special day or why the holidays were important. So I think that part of the problem is that Advent has become sidelined by Christmas. So you have to remember, in traditional practice, Advent itself was, is not Christmas, right? Christmas begins on Christmas Eve. And when does it end? At Epiphany, right? The 12 days. Advent is a time leading up to Christmas, of reflection, of spiritual discipline, right? It's sort of like mini Lent, traditionally, Advent was. And this time of reflection and spiritual discipline, focusing on waiting and so forth, is then followed by the joyful celebration of Christmas, right? You need, you need the two. The waiting and the patience of Advent gives way towards the joy and the celebratory aspect of Christmas, of Christ's nativity. Just like Lent and Holy Week is that time of sober reflection that leads us to the joy of Easter. And so in Advent, we highlight the themes of hope, the theme of peace, the theme of joy and love, because in the incarnation of the Word of God, in Jesus taking on human flesh, we see these on display in anticipation, right? The anticipation that the children of Israel had, God's people had, awaiting the promised Messiah. Then we, we have the fulfillments of God's promise, sending the Messiah. And then the consummation, this is the return of the Messiah at the end of time. And the readings today reflected the third one, the consummation. So you may have heard the readings this morning and thought to yourself, that doesn't sound very Christmassy or festive, or even tinged with a teensy bit of hope. So we're going to talk about today, how do these texts highlight the theme of hope? how these readings are concerned with the consummation of all things, and how is the hope of Jesus Christ present here. So in the reading from the Psalms, it was Psalm 80, verses 1 to 7 and 17 to 19. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you are enthroned on the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might, come to save us, restore us, God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man who you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So we see here Jesus prefigured in the Psalms, right? Jesus is the shepherd of Israel that the psalmist is praying towards. And Jesus even applies this imagery to himself. What does he say in the Gospels? I am the good, what? Shepherd, 
right? And you have the story. We even have a beautiful picture of it right here. Jesus as the good shepherd. And we know in some of the other parables, he leaves the 99 to find the one. And we see Jesus, the shepherd of Israel, enthroned on the cherubim. The cherubim is a a type of angel, right, that, that the Old Testament talks about in heaven, that Christ is enthroned there. And they ask him to shine forth. They say, restore us, O God, save us. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man. So the restoration and the salvation of Israel rests with the coming of the son of man, Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus calling himself in the Gospels. What does he call himself? The son of what? Man. He's taking on these Old Testament titles for himself. And we see here God's face shining is what brings salvation. And that should make us think in the Old Testament of what story? A couple of stories, right? The first story we could think of is the story of Moses. Moses goes up to the mountain, right? And then when he comes down, what is he holding? The Ten Commandments, right? Charlton Heston comes down from the mountain with his beard and his red coat, and he has the Ten Commandments. But what happens when Moses comes down? His face is what? His face is shining, right? He was in the presence and the glory of God, and so his face is shining with God's glory as he comes down from the mountain with the law. And then when we think about, and we'll we'll actually commemorate this next year, Jesus goes up into a mountain, and what happens? He's changed, right? It says that he is transfigured before them. And we see not only his face glowing, but his clothes are white. It's as if the glory that he contains within himself as being the both divine and human son of God is shining forth, right? So we have this picture in Psalms of asking God to shine forth. We see it prefigured in Moses and other people in the Old Testament. We see this fulfilled in Jesus, shining forth. I think the book of Hebrews calls him Christ. It says Jesus is, it's Jesus is classic old word that nobody uses anymore, the effulgence of the glory of God. That's kind of hard to explain that. It's a, it's a, look it up in your phone, uh, your phone dictionaries, effulgence, the, the beauty, the majesty, the, 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 the gloriousness of the light shining out of him. And we see hope demonstrated here in this psalm with the promise of restoration and salvation. So hope is pro- demonstrated in this promise of restoration and salvation. So the, and, and the context of the other readings are going to point us toward the coming salvation at the end of time. And this, brothers and sisters, is when our salvation is fully realized. Then in 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9, St. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul gives thanks here for what God has given them, how God has enriched them in knowledge and in speech and how they've been given every gift and St. Paul's going to later on in, the, in that same book talk to them about how their, their practice of the gifts got crazy and out of control. We don't have time to talk about that today because that's not what we're, we're talking about. But what we see here is they were given these gifts, these grace gifts by God so that they can wait. God gave them these gifts so they can learn how to wait. That's hard. I don't know about you. You ask my wife. I'm, I'm terribly impatient sometimes. 
sometimes. I don't want to wait for anything. <laughs> and she'll tell you, sometimes I get a little ornery. I'm like, I don't want to. She's like, calm down. It's okay. Calm down. Thankfully, not when I, not when I drive. But for them, waiting for what? For something specific. Something specific. What are they waiting for? God's grace is giving them the ability to wait for something. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this word revelation is the word apocalypse. Now, when we say the word apocalypse, we either think of an X-Men villain from a comic book or we think of something bad, destruction. We think when the word apocalyptic is used to describe uh, imagery of, of bad things happening, society being destroyed. But the word apocalypse doesn't necessarily mean destruction. The word apocalypse means revealing, which is why the apocalypse in the New Testament, that's what revelation, that's the word that revelation is translated from, apocalypse. It means to reveal something, or even better, to unveil something. And so the New Testament writers, when they talk about the apocalypse, they're talking about the revealing of Jesus Christ at the end of time. He's returning to judge and renew and restore the world. And we have to remember, right, when Christ first comes, does he come in glory? Not really, right? Not really. I mean, we, we, we can look at this nativity set here. We can even learn from just looking at the set. What does Christ come in here? Not in glory, but in what? In humility, right? Almost kind of even in secret, hidden in a, in a little province of the Roman Empire that was kind of unimportant. But what Paul's saying here is Jesus will be revealed, that they're waiting for the revelation of him at the end of time. When he comes again, brothers and sisters, he's not coming in humility. He's not coming in secret. He is coming in power. He is coming in glory. He is coming in majesty. And the fraction of the, rev- of the revealing of himself that he gave them at the transfiguration on the mountain will then be, that, that was nothing compared to this type of revelation, right? Because then he is revealed in all of his glory. And the scriptures remind us then that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That doesn't mean that everyone will believe and receive. Some will do that out of grudging kind of admission, right? But we are not those people who are grudgingly forced to admit that Jesus is who he says he is. And we don't wait till the end of time to acknowledge that. So we see hope demonstrated here in this passage of Scripture, I think, by seeing that God is faithful to us in our waiting, specifically in our waiting for Jesus Christ to return, but then also in our waiting as we learn to live as Christians within this world. So the grace that God has given us will sustain us until Christ returns again. And the presence of his grace gifts, they sustain us in that period. The theologian Richard Hayes, commenting on this portion in Corinthians, he says, we can gain a better sense of proportion about our own striving and failures, for God is faithful And it is God who is at work in calling and preparing us for his gracious ends. By reading this opening passage, we can learn to see ourselves within the story of God's grace in such a way that despair and pride and petty conflict fall away. Because, brothers and sisters, they fall away because we see or we anticipate the revealing of Christ and his goodness 
and in his glory. It should make all of these things that we fight about, maybe even here among ourselves, maybe even the things that we fight about at home, all of those things that we fight about ultimately are unimportant because what matters, brothers and sisters, is that unity centered around the coming of Jesus Christ that should make all despair, pride, and conflict fall away. And then lastly, in this portion from the Gospel of Mark, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds of power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn the lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things pass, take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, confirmants. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. It's the second time. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Third time. When you read the Bible and something is repeated over and over again in a, in, in a short space of time there, that means it's important, <laughs> right? It means God is trying to tell us something. And Jesus says here, stay awake. So this passage of scripture here, we have an explicit reference to his return, right? Like we, we confess in the creed, like we will a little bit later today, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And this has an immediate reference, right? This passage of scripture is speaking particularly about the destruction of the temple in, in 70, which happens by the Romans, right? So we know that, like this is, has a particular fulfillment for them, but this also still has fulfillment for us in the future. And like we said, his first advent is in humility and in secrecy, but in this reading here in Mark, we see the opposite. Right? We see the opposite. He, it, it coming is visible. Everyone will see it. Right? It's not something that's going to be, to be hidden. Like this day of Yahweh, like they called it in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. This day that God would come back to make everything right. The New Testament writers say this is Jesus coming again. And he's coming to gather his people to himself. And so we see hope demonstrated here, brothers and sisters. Number three, hope is demonstrated by this. Hope bears fruit in light of all of this by helping us to stay awake. To stay awake. So what does this mean, to stay awake? Hope produces in us the desire to be doing the tasks he's called us to do while we wait for him. If we sleep, we are spiritually lazy and unconcerned with our responsibilities. And then as Christians, his, turn, his return will surprise us. And as his followers, it really shouldn't. And some of those who may even claim Christ may be seen to have never been converted because they weren't awake. So hope is also seen here in that Jesus is coming and he's going to set everything in order, right? God will not leave us 
as we are. In Jesus Christ, he's begun the process of making everything new. And that's the task, brothers and sisters, that God calls us to work for. As the, the, the Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright calls, setting the world to rights. Setting the world to rights. So in response to this, how hope has been demonstrated in these texts. Our response to all of this is we should let our, jo- our voices join with both the Hebrew people and their cry from the Psalms. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. As well as by the early Christian cry of Maranatha, which is Aramaic for come, O Lord. So I'm going to ask you all to do, I'm going to ask you all to stand for a minute. This isn't, I'm just deciding to do this now. So just stand up for a second, all right? We're going to do this three times. I'm going to say, Maranatha, and I'd like you to say, come Lord Jesus. We'll do it three times. You ready? Maranatha. 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 And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who helps us to stay awake, who promises to restore and save us, and is promising to be faithful to us, even in the middle of our waiting, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting and is all holy and good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful North Hampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.